0: South of the Six Podcast, bringing you the latest on your favorite Toronto sports teams from south of the Canadian border. Here's your host, Adam Corsair. So
1: I think it's safe to say that we, at this point, can say that the Raptors have officially put the East on notice. Welcome to the South of the Six Podcast. We are part of the Stadium Scene.TV network, part of the Overtime Media crew, and we are coming to you live from the Vivid Seats studio. So yeah, the Raptors have been pretty impressive to the point where people here in the States have been talking a lot about them in a positive light. And we're going to break down all things Toronto Raptors today. Joining me to do so is Jonathan Rass of the Raptors Reddit Podcast. Jonathan, my man, how's it going? How are you doing, Adam? What's going on? Oh, you know, man, just trying, trying and trying to get the Raptors Twitter to officially follow me, but they're not biting, dude. They're not doing it.
0: I will admit your crusade is something to envy. I love the fact how committed you are to try to get the rappers to follow you, but it is a, a very difficult task. They don't follow just anybody, and it, I commend you for your continued efforts.
1: You know, what I think I think it's that they're. I think at this point they're just trolling me. I think at this point they're just kind of like, <laughs> let's see how far we can stretch this, or maybe they're just ignoring me altogether. It's probably the latter, if I had to guess.
0: And you think you would get a little bit more love and respect because you are south of the six, like you're not somebody who's in Toronto, like my myself. So you feel like there's a little bit of a unique market there. You know, it's funny. just to go off a really quick story. I remember just following it again. We're, we were starting out, and I, I started my Twitter page a little bit late with our own podcast. And one of the things that I ran into is just people that are randomly following you. How do they come across you? And just about two weeks ago, I had the city of Toronto follow me, and I was really? like, I don't know where that happened. Yeah, so it's kind of completely random. But it just, I feel like. It's it's just some random guy clicking on a button, going, "Hey, we're just gonna follow this guy
1: randomly. We don't really know who he is, but we're just gonna make that work." <laughs> yeah, you know what? But I take it, right? I take it, that's that's yeah, exactly. a representation of the city that you reside in. You know, maybe yeah. it could be a random guy, or it could be you know some high level official. We don't know. You know, absolutely. I, and maybe you know they they're tuning into the Raptors Reddit podcast and you're like, you know, this is pretty good shit. And if that's the case, then, <laughs> you know, I think it's good. So why wouldn't anybody else think it's good?
0: Awesome. Awesome. I appreciate that.
1: Uh, No worries. Um, So, yeah, man, the Raptors, uh, they're pretty much riding high right now. If I would have told you a couple weeks back that, you know, with the loss of Kyle Lowry and Serge Ibaka, that the team right now would be second in the Eastern Conference with a record of 14-4, and I don't know that you'd believe me.
0: I would absolutely not have believed you because I thought they were going to crash and burn on that Western road trip and I was dead wrong. so I would definitely uh, I would have to argue that this has been unexpected and obviously seeing what they've been able to do without Kyle Lowry and uh, Serge Ibaka has been nothing short of remarkable
1: it is and you know like the bench unit they've been stepping up big time and uh, some players that might not have gotten the opportunity to shine maybe guys like Terrence Davis and Chris Boucher Uh, or maybe even RHJ, they're certainly stepping up big time and they're certainly filling in the voids adequately. So, you know, you got to give it to the resiliency and moreover, the the defensive emphasis that this team has been executing on the floor. I think that is the thing that I'm, you know, focused on the most. Like last year, in comparison, if we're going to do like a juxtaposition here, last year, um, it, it was I wanna say offensively heavy, but there was a lot of ISO and a lot of just give the the ball to Kawhi and, you know, to take over and to be the, the killer in that factor. But this year at least with in what 18 games into the season you can tell that it's a lot more team driven it's a lot more uh you know committed to ball movement and to committed to be you know gelling chemistry as one and uh I don't know. you got to give it to to Nick Nurse to really putting this uh emphasis and this this philosophy into this team and it's it's executing very well
0: it it, it really is again the the willingness to this team to conform and change their identity um has certainly been something that I think has been um, potentially expected, but I guess not to the success that they've seen this year. One of the things I've really talked about and really really stressed is the fact that this Raptors team really is identity on offense of really two things. They either get to the rim or they shoot threes. Hmm. They've basically eliminated their entire mid-range game. The only player that really has a mid-range game part of their... I guess their their offensive philosophy is Serge Ibaka. Outside of that, everybody's either looking to go to the rim or taking a three point shot. So it's part of the the credit to again playing the Mori ball, the Houston Rockets style of basketball, and the Raptors have seemed to perfected it, and it's just resulting in more and more wins.
1: Well, speaking of the Houston Rockets, the the Raptors have another tough home stretch coming up this week, and the Houston Rockets are up on that stretch as well as two other challenging teams. But look, we want to help you get there. We want to help you be able to see the Toronto Raptors live, your defending reigning world champions live. How, you ask? Well, it's simple. The Vivid Seats app. We partnered with the Vivid Seats app to give you the best opportunity to see your reigning defending champions live. Vivid Seats is the top source for tickets for the events you want to go to, whether it's a Raptors game, a concert, theater show, comedy show, whatever you want, they've got it. Check it out. A little personal story on the side. I'm not one to really put this live on air. Did it, I've done it once before, but you know what? I'll do it again. My wife, loves Hanson I don't know why maybe she's you know channeling channeling her inner kid but she just loves Hanson and right now with the Christmas season coming up that's all I'm hearing in the household is the Hanson Christmas album and I guess they're coming to Boston pretty soon and my wife wanted tickets and I said why don't you just go over to the Vivid Seats app and use promo code overtime that's O-V-E-R-T-I-M-E and she got a nice little discount on her tickets and you can too they've got it all all you got to do is download the Vivid Seats app on your favorite device and search for your event. You can sort, sort the tickets by price, by seat, by section, by row, your choice, all in the Vivid Seats app. And to make things better, Vivid Seats now has a loyalty program that allows fans to earn credit back, called the Vivid Seats Rewards. It's simple, and you're automatically enrolled in it. No red tape, no hoops to jump through. You're just there once you sign up. And again, if you use promo code OVERTIME, that's O-V-E-R-T-I-M-E, you can get up to $100 off your first ticket purchase in the vivid Seeds app so go download the vivid Seeds app type in promo code overtime o-v-e-r-t-i-m-e and you can enjoy whatever sh- event you want to go to we got a whole lineup of raptors conversation to talk about today don't go anywhere we will be right back this is the overtime podcast network All right, Jonathan. We touched on it a little bit when it came to the bench, but before we, you know, deep dive into that, the thing that I think is on everybody's mind, even though we're recording this Saturday afternoon after a a decent, I'll call it, win against Orlando. Monday's victory over the 76ers. Now, a lot of people, myself included, had the Sixers pegged as one of the top two teams heading into the season. I know you were really high on the Celtics, but I'm not sure that you were necessarily really low on the 76ers. But my main concern, I think I talked about this when I hopped onto your show, was I don't know who they'd rely on to be the finisher, you know, with Butler and Redick gone. Um, Fast forward to this past Monday, those concerns were ostensibly realized. The Raptors held Joel Embiid to zero points, going zero from 11 from the field, only three offensive rebounds, but 13 total, and he finished as a minus nine. They also held the team to only 15 points in the second quarter and 16 points in a tight fourth. This goes back to the emphasis on defense that I mentioned at the jump of the show. You can say what you want about the win over the L.A. Lakers in L.A., but for me, this was their biggest win by far in this short season thus far. So chop it up, man. How do you rate and analyze this win over the 76ers? First, thing I gotta ask
0: you is, do you think Joel Embiid checks his closet at night for Marcus <laughs> Sewell? Because I feel like that is happening night in, night out. Because I don't see a player that is more scared of another player than the way that Joel Embiid looks at Marcus Sewell right now. Talk about a father son moment every time they walk on the court together. Because it is fantastic.
1: See, the um, thing is, I think I think Joel Embiid, he doesn't need to check his closet because Marc has some re- Marc Gasol has some real estate in his head already.
0: He does. He does. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, you know what? One thing is, uh, I guess going into the season, I was very I was actually a little bit low on the 76ers. I actually had them predicted to finish fourth in the East. And part of it was due to the fact that, again, we just talked. We just talked about um, you just touched on was the idea, the fact that they have difficulty executing late. Who are they going to go to? Um Embiid, at times, looks like he's got tunnel vision. Again, you can see the fact that during that game, he was having difficulty converting any kind of shot opportunity, and he started pulling himself out to the three-point line, which is the exact opposite you'd want to do if you're a struggling player. Any player knows that you want to get to the rim, you want to get contact, draw a foul, get something going in order to get your confidence up, but it'd be with the opposite way. So they look like they're really struggling to find that identity. Ben Simmons has got this mental block that he can't shoot threes, and they're showing all these clips before games of him warming up and shooting threes. It, honestly, it's a complete <laughs> mess in Philadelphia to the point that I look at them and I'm like, you they're going to struggle all year because they're, they lack this... This identity late of how they're gonna score because the offense doesn't move. Everyone just sits and watches. If you're gonna rely on Tobias Harris and his thirty five million dollars a year to carry you late, you got problems. Mm.
1: Yeah, it's true, and you know, like when you have the 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 aspect of Redick and, and Butler pretty much in absentia when it comes to the Seventy Sixers, like it it sort of removes the fear factor from it. Now I know, like Embiid, people like to talk him up as one of the best centers in the NBA today, and that still might be true, but he's showing how inexperienced he is, right? He's showing that he doesn't have the the mental. Uh, I don't want to say fortitude, but he doesn't have that that mental um, aspect in his game that he can just eliminate the past, right? And it, I, I was listening to the um, the Free Association podcast this week, and they touched on the fact that there are still Sixers players today, or ex Sixers players, that do not like talking about that game uh, back in June. They do not, or rather in May, they do not like to talk about the shot. They do not like how to talk about how they were just eliminated from the uh, from the playoffs because it was such a hard moment. You know, for all of the celebrations. That Toronto fans have done because of Kawhi Leonard's shot. You have to think, like, if it. If I'm a 76ers fan, I'm devastated after that. And uh, to to have to relive that in a way and to come back into the arena where it happened and then have Marcus Gasol pretty much baptize you and eat your lunch and hel- hold you to zero points. Not only is the is that embarrassing, but it just shows that, you know, you just can't block it out. You can't block out the noise and you could just see that Embiid was just shook he didn't know how to handle the situation he didn't know how to handle this uh, the the anxieties of coming back to the scotia bank arena so i i don't know i don't know if this is something that he's going to have to like pretty much work on and that comes with experience or maybe you know players like Joel Embiid, and you can even throw kyrie irving in there maybe they're just far too emotional to be able to thrive in this league I,
0: I think you're definitely right. I think it, the idea of the emotion swinging on a pendulum back and forth with Embiid, again, it either gets the best of him or it waxes his catalyst to, for his game that he can play that much better. I think the hard thing I find with Joel Embiid is recognizing that when you look at the landscape of the NBA, the people that can guard you outside of Marcus Gasol, who um, we talked about has has him owned. The reality is that he needs to get to the rim with greater frequency. Again, when you look at his his deep down numbers, he only takes 36% of his shots at the rim within four feet. Mm. That is way too low for a player as skilled and as dominating as he is with his sheer physical size and quickness. That's the number I'd be concerned about if I'm Philadelphia. I'm looking like, why are you settling for so many mid-range shots. Most of his shots come from the mid-range. They don't come from at the rim. And when you get a guy with his physical intangibles and his physical size, I want to see him be more aggressive inside and take it at will to the defense. And I think that until that happens, you're not going to see Philadelphia become more successful because Embiid has to play to what he's good at. And I understand he thinks he's this complete player. And again, he is evolving into that, but he's got to continue to strive for what he does really well.
1: You know, when you look at the, I, I mentioned that Joel Embiid was held to a minus nine by the Raptors. If you look at the entire 76ers starting lineup, none of them were in the plus column. And I know plus minus, like, a lot of people like to get hung up on that. A lot of people like to to gravitate towards that, and they like to look at it as if they're showing the full picture. It's really not. But, the fact that you have such a limited roster for Toronto, right? I mean, that, that speaks volumes that, you know, they did win the game, and they won it pretty convincingly, but at the same time, like, the defense was there. And you you know with this nba the way it's trending or the way it has been trending offense has been pretty much prioritized and i don't know if the toronto raptors are setting a trend much like the golden state warriors set the trend of like launching threes at a, at a high clip um and being that that sort of swing the offense um in that direction i don't know if the toronto raptors right now are you know starting this trend of defensive being this priority and i i kind of want to get your take do you think that we're seeing some sort of like I want to say a revolution, but maybe a a throwback to where defense was, you know, I don't know if you remember the phrase, but to me, it was always offense wins games, defense wins championships, and I don't know if that's what they're, they're harping on right now, and if they are, it certainly is working, so maybe the Toronto Raptors right now are starting this trend that, hey, defense is the name of the game, it used to be offense, but we're proving that with such a limited roster, we can win with just defense alone.
0: Well, I think you're absolutely right. I think they've established the fact that as a team identity, everybody's going to have to buy in. We saw Nick Nurse at the beginning of the year call out guys like Stanley Johnson, Ronald Hollis Jefferson for their lack of effort and commitment to the defensive end of the floor, even though both players are typically known for their defense and certainly not their offense. Um, The reality I think is the fact that everyone has kind of bought into this idea that the paint is their house and we are going to protect it at all costs. And again, this year the Raptors have been absolutely phenomenal Um, at the paint. Again, they are protecting the paint at such an incredible level. Again, right now, this year, teams are shooting 54%. That's number one in the league, um, the lowest percentage in the league. Again, the the lowest being 66% for Charlotte. And you look at how the Raptors play. The Raptors say, we're not going to allow anything inside. We're going to double you when you get in the paint. We're not going to let you drive. And we're going to force you to shoot threes. And fortunately for the Raptors, the Raptors are recovering well with team defense, and they're getting their hand out on those shooters. So even though the Raptors give up a ton of threes, and again, they give up a a lot of threes the reality is they're trying to contest those saying we're going to take away everything in that short area you want the mid-range fine but we're not going to give up anything in the paint and we're going to win that paint battle every single night and it shows in the stats about how they're playing and how they're playing their defensive philosophy
1: yeah and you know it for me that's just i don't want to say it's it's unfamiliar with uh, the way I've looked at the Raptors because, oh, maybe it is because how long have we seen like the defense sort of lapse? And I'm not saying that it wasn't like important. Of course it was, but it wasn't nearly as emphasized as it is right now. And that's why I give a lot of credit to Nick Nurse. Like a lot of people, like for me last year, this is a lot of people like to talk about Pascal Siakam's leap. And it's true that he's taking another one, but look at the leaps that Nick Nurse has made, right? For me, it's, you see a, a clear difference in how he's coaching this Team compared to last year. Like it, I remember last year, I was pulling my hair out because I, there are so many times I'm screaming at the TV. Nick Nurse, call a timeout! Call a timeout right here! Or so you need to to get rid of this guy on the floor and make a substitution. Now I don't have any of those worries. I don't have any of those concerns because it seems like he's doing everything perfectly when called for. And there's no stress. There's no anxiety when it comes to it. And quite frankly, for me, I haven't had anything that I can really nitpick about when it comes to how Nick Nurse is coaching this team.
0: No, I think, honestly, he's really earned... not that he needs the fans' respect, but he's really earned the the benefit of the doubt more often than not after that championship season. Again, his willingness to stick with players, recognize, and again, here's the reality: is this is what makes Nick 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 Nurse exceptional. He doesn't think like a conventional NBA head coach. Many NBA coaches don't want to play zone because it's beneath them. It's something that you play in college or high school. He they would never throw box and one like they did in the NBA finals, and you know Steph Curry mocked the Raptors afterwards with t-shirts he was about about box and one and all these different things. And but the reality is, he's willing to try absolutely anything to win. And you got to commend him for that because even though it may look unorthodox or you may look at him and say, I don't understand the strategy here and what he's employing, he really expects the guys to buy into what he's doing. And fortunately, every single player on the floor is buying into his mentality. They're buying into his headspace of how he wants to play defense. And that, for me, is really the catalyst on why this team continues to be successful even without the likes of Kawhi and Danny Green here. It's because this team has reinvented itself and it's honestly made the Raptors probably more exciting this year to watch than maybe even dare I say last year.
1: I was going to ask you that, and I'm glad you brought that up because for me, like that is a, a hot button topic on on Twitter right now. Like, is this team as exciting as last year's team, or even more exciting? And for me, like, sure, you can say that, you can evaluate it that way, but they just seem different. Like, I approached last season, walking in into the off, from the offseason into last season, I said, okay, we're, we should be favorites to to make an NBA finals run like we should get there and it was sort of just like gravy throughout the entire regular season like maybe I approached the regular season you know unknowingly like how Kawhi described it later on like these are just practice games and you know when when he said that I sort of reflected on it I'm like no it makes a lot of sense right you know like the playoffs is where it's at the playoffs are where the time where people take it up to a next level and that's when we really see what players are made of this season coming in the expectations, I don't want to say they were low, but they weren't nearly as high as last season. In fact, I was pretty unsure and I was not confident in my notion that you know this team would be capable to make a finals run. And you sort of saw that in the beginning with the first like handful of games. The, the depth certainly wasn't nearly as uh, as gelling as it is right now, not even close. Now I'm looking at, it and I'm like, this team is so polarizing compared to last year because none of these guys should be making this much noise on paper, right? None of these players should should be, I don't know, making this much of an impact on a on a championship caliber team. They really shouldn't, and they are. Like Terrence Davis just got completely looked over, and he's making all the difference in the world for this team. It's looking like he's a a 10-year vet on the floor. So when I analyze these two teams in comparison, like last year's team and this year's, I think last year's was, the expectations were high, but because this team right now is performing so well, the rewards are just through the roof, and it's vastly exceeding my expectations.
0: Well, and ultimately, it's a reflection of this Raptors front office the ability to recognize players that have kind of either been discarded or players that were maybe undervalued when they came out of uh, came out of the uh, the college game, and, and seeing that there's opportunity to really make these players into something special. Again, you, you just mentioned Terrence Davis again. His obviously his story, the undrafted rookie making a contribution. He's now put himself into this rotation moving forward, and the Raptors are going to have to get creative when these guys come back. And how do you get these guys minutes? But ultimately. The Raptors identify Messiah Jury, Bobby West, so they identify players that can contribute and make a difference and buy into a role. And again, the one guy who's going to get paid the end of the season right now is Hollis Jefferson. If he continues this rate, again, his defense and the way that he is like a Swiss Army knife defensively, what he can provide you, little rebounds, little block shots, few steals, hustle plays, jump, get on the floor after a loose ball, all the things that you want to see from a guy who's really to put his body on the line – The Raptors just have so many players like this this year and they keep finding them, which is the most amazing thing. And then the reality is you keep finding them. Either you keep them on your roster moving forward or the more other thing is they actually become trade value. And these guys, you build them up and then maybe you flip out their assets for another deal. Maybe it's not a Kawhi deal, but maybe it's another deal of an impact player down the road because you've turned these players nobody thought would be anything into actual valuable pieces uh, moving forward for this team.
1: Yeah, yeah, and that that is the thing that you have to highlight. Like you have to highlight how the front office is able to find. I don't want to say diamonds in the rough because I'm not sure where they are quite yet, but they're definitely finding players that were undervalued and and quite frankly underrated. Like you look at someone like OG Ananobi, right? And I know like the the injury in college sort of derailed his chances to be a lottery pick, but that's that was a blessing in disguise, right? Like coming into his first year. Um, I'm sure there was still a recovery aspect from the ACL, like the, I'm sure the lateral movement wasn't quite there as much as he would have liked it to be, um, but this is a guy that defended LeBron James in the playoffs very, very well, right, and as a rookie, that is, you can't ask for more than that, and I know last year, some, some personal issues sort of derailed his season, and you know, he had some other injury issues, and I think he had a, an appendectomy as well. Um those, those are the things that you sort of can't predict, but after this season, coming into this season rather, he just looks like a bat out of hell. Like He just looks like someone that has something to prove. And he's doing it with so much confidence that I just didn't really see that like high of a ceiling for OG Ananobi. And don't get me wrong, I didn't think he was going to be a bad player by any means, but I wasn't sure that he would be able to hit it this quickly and this well. So credit to the, to the scouting staff. Like it, it is remarkable that they're able to find these players that are just completely glanced over. And it, it, you look at a guy like Chris Boucher, it seems like all he needed was the opportunity. And yes, it sucks that Serge ibaka is gone, but for how aggressive? Like, he's playing as if he has the body of Shaq when he's just like slim duck. Like, he looks like he's breakable, but he's just so utterly fearless that it just makes you marvel at the efforts that he puts on the floor.
0: Well, to highlight, we were talking about OG and Obi. He's really the story of the season and the, the, the leaps and bounds improvements that he's made. Not only was this three point shot, defense has become. Way more tenacious. He's getting after it. He's not backing down from any challenge. Again, I love the deep numbers. I've been talking about them the whole time. The analytics, but you know, the one thing that I really value about him is he understands what he does well. This is the this is the shocking stat. I've talked about it uh, on my podcast. The fact that when you look at the numbers, and this is one of them that blows my mind, ninety five percent of OGN and an OB shots are either threes or they're at the rim. He doesn't take anything from the mid-range because he knows the value and either spotting up for that corner three or he's going to put the ball on the floor and drive it to the rim. And for a player of his age and experience to understand the value of what those what those shots look like, is it's truly incredible. And that's just the offensive standpoint. We're not even talking about the defense, the fact that what he – you talk about capable of guarding basically any player – he has really become this asset that you are going to build around for years to come. And if he develops more of a consistent offensive game in terms of what he can contribute, if he even becomes a 15, 18 points uh, per game scorer, he's a perennial all-NBA defensive team. Again, his ceiling defensively is absolutely um, phenomenal. Again, he could be absolutely one of the one of the best players in the last 10 years to play defense on the perimeter.
1: It's, it's unbelievable. And you have to... Imagine that the presence of Kawhi Leonard, although brief, uh, had a lot to do with that. Had a lot to do with the growth of this team. And I'm not saying that Kawhi Leonard necessarily like pulled players aside and like you know coached them up. Maybe he did. I don't. I don't know what kind of a teammate he is. I really don't because I don't obviously don't have firsthand experience with it. But just watching him and being able to sort of be around him on a daily basis and watching how he operates, I'm sure that's contagious. Right. I'm sure like the, the sort of defensive mentality was sort of contagious amongst everybody that still remains on this team, and they sort of took that and. Ran with it, and you know I, I do think there is something to be said about intangibles like that because yeah, you see it often, right? And I guess the closest comp coming out of college for OG and an OB was Kawhi. Maybe not necessarily to that extreme. Like he probably doesn't have nearly as high of a ceiling as Kawhi did when he got drafted. But you could say that maybe he's like almost there. Maybe he's like a diet Kawhi Leonard in that respect on the on the defensive end. What do you think? I actually
0: think I actually think his the one player I actually think he's more like and I think he will end up being more like is Draymond Green I think ultimately his profile, and his size, he's going to be able to guard. When he eventually fills out, he gets a little bit more. I think he's going to add some muscle as the game goes on. I don't think he's going to stay as lean as he is. And ultimately, I see him literally being a guy who can play positions really one to five. Because, again, his skill set and, again, his long arms are what gives him the benefit of the doubt. Again, he's got over a seven-foot wingspan, so he can really guard any position with that body and that skill set. So ultimately, I I see him being able to really do anything defensively where he's not even limited to guard one or two positions.
1: Well, there's still a whole lot more that we need to break down when it comes to the bench, and we're going to do it right after this break. Hang tight, everybody. Don't go anywhere. We will be right back. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. All right. You mentioned that RHJ is maybe uh, in line for a huge pay raise at the end of the season. I kind of wanted to get your take on this. A lot of people want to focus right now on, on Fred VanVleet, and I know he's not part of the bench unit, but you know, there's an argument to be made that when Kyle Lowry comes back, depending on how they want to finesse the lineup, he may be best suited off the bench. Maybe not. Maybe he's, he's better suited with Kyle Lowry on the floor. I'm not sure. But if you were in charge right now, do you think that Fred Van Vliet is deserving of an extension on this team? And how would you handle that moving forward with the likes of Kyle Lowry still being contracted for this team for another year? And how would you make that work for Fred Van Vliet moving forward?
0: Well, it, first, that's a great question. I think ultimately you have to look at the situation and say, well, Fred Van Vliet has played himself in 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 as a starting point guard in this league. There's no doubt in my mind he is a, he is a starting point guard on a playoff team. Maybe a championship team, we will see. Um, ultimately, he has really put any doubts I had about his size. Again, the way that he's improved at getting to the rim and the way he's gotten better at recognizing what things he can do well and ways to create space. I'm just I'm just floored with his playmaking this year. So when I look at him, I think he's ultimately. I don't think you can move him to a bench role at this point. I think he's way too valuable. What he provides from a leadership standpoint, if it is next to Kyle Lowry, so I ultimately think you got to start him moving forward now. The trick becomes, going back to the bench question, is then do you have to move somebody like Norman Powell back to the bench? And my only concern with that is Powell is somebody who really needs to ride a confidence wave in order to play really well. And he's starting to play well with a defined with a defined role for this team, and he's starting to score with more consistently. I worry if you move him back to the bench and put him playing 15 minutes a game, he's going to lose some of that confidence, and we're going to see more of the old Norman Powell that we've come to except after he signed that uh that contract for the 10 million a year for multiple seasons so that would be my only concern about flipping this team around but I would absolutely handle this and, and look to and I'm, I'm paying Fred VanVleet in the offseason I think he's going to get minimum I, I'm going to say 20 million a year probably coming up this offseason
1: yeah I mean you look at the contributions that he's made in the absence of Kyle Lowry and it's been phenomenal and you know Personally, like you know me, I'm not high on the Celtics. I don't like to necessarily hate on them, but you gotta think that he deserves more than what Jalen Brown got. Like, I would think so. And like, I know a lot of people like to say that Jalen Brown's gonna be this phenomenal player. I don't necessarily see it. I think he's a very good player, but seeing what Fred Van Vliet, like, if you look at the situations, it seems like Fred Van Vliet has been a lot more relied on for this team to be the floor general than Jalen Brown is in, in Boston. And if Jalen Brown got that kind of money, you can only imagine that Fred VanVleet has to at least, at the very least, match that contract.
0: You you would think so, that he would be in the same position. Now, I guess the only thing that Jalen Brown's got going for him is obviously the size factor that he can play multiple positions. And there's there's still the people, and again, I was one of them, Um, that looked at it and I remember when we were looking at do we keep right do we keep Fred Van Lee I was on the right side because Mm -hmm. I thought that the size would be more of an issue and again it was an issue last year in the playoffs we saw how much he struggled against Philadelphia but then on Monday night he's able to put forth this incredible 22 points um, that's right not 22 points he had 24 points on Monday night again what he was able to accomplish in that game it really put to doubts that he can play against bigger guys I think he's gotten more creative he's gotten more flexible in the way he plays and that's showing me a level of maturity that I think he's going through. And again, you heard um, one of the things I caught wind of uh, yesterday was Marcusol was commenting on what Fred Van Lee does. And he basically basically said he's a coach on the floor. He's literally sees the game from every perspective. And he has the respect of a guy who's in his mid 30s, won an NBA championship, uh, multiple medals at the FIBA level. Again, this is a guy who's been a perennial all-star and again you've got the respect of him at this young age and that's that's truly remarkable for me so fred van vlade is absolutely a staple for this team and fortunately they have his bird rights that they're going to be able to you know utilize that now he is unrestricted so it is possible that he could walk away i hopefully he doesn't but it is
1: possible it makes you wonder though like when it comes to a player that has made this much of an impact on the team and maybe we haven't seen it to to this high of a degree it's say for Kawhi Leonard, right? But those are circumstances outside of our control. When it comes to players that the team has relied on and we we find to be extremely valuable, Masai Jerry does a very good job of making sure they stay. I don't know if he's the world's best salesman or what have you, but he finds a way to keep them on the roster. You look at when DeMar DeRozan was a free agent. Everybody was panicking that he was going to go to the Lakers, and it took one meeting with Masai to make him resign. I know the circumstances were different in that regard, too, but it seems like maybe this place feels like home to these guys. Maybe Fred VanVleet can reflect on it and said, you know, I was undrafted. I had to try out. I remember the Open Gym episode which with him and three other dudes trying out for the team, and I was like, no way, this guy Fred makes the team. And here we are right now. He got a finals MVP nod, like, who the hell am I? <laughs> but it just it's remarkable that, you know, historically, you see these guys that, that end up leaving under Messiah's watch, and, you know, Norman Powell at that time was one of them. We were like, oh, can't really let Norm leave, and he got a contract extension, and we can debate whether or not he deserves it or not at this point, but he still was a guy that at the time we thought would be a valuable asset for the team. And I have no doubt that Masai will pretty much operate under the same way and say, look, like, I, we can't maybe necessarily promise you like all these starting point guard minutes in, you know, this, this first year of this new contract because Kyle Lowry will still be on this team. Maybe he'll get traded. I don't know. But I can tell you one thing in 2021, you will be the guy. Like, you will undoubtedly be the guy on this team to lead this, the team as the point guard. So I think maybe that in that aspect, Fred Van Vliet will find that attractive. And I'm sure Masai. I will pay him what's necessary for him to stay as well
0: it does it does raise an interesting question though and again not to not to throw rumors out there but obviously the reality is if fred van Vliet has been as good in this role as a point guard as the point guard of the future for this team does it maybe make it easier to to you know walk away from kyle lowry at an earlier pace than the year you sign him and again i'm not suggesting you trade kyle lowry but the reality is do you look at cashing on other assets? You look how good this team has played collectively as a regular season team. Granted, but do you start looking at that and again? There's there is actually a, a strong part of me that believes that Serge Ibaka won't be on this team by the end of the season. Really? I think ultimately, I think Boucher has earned um, the minutes that we've seen coming off the bench, and I, I and I and it wouldn't surprise me if the Raptors tried to maximize some value for Serge um, when he comes back and look to flip him. Now, again, I could be dead wrong on that, but if I was. Messiah, I would certainly look to deal Surge um, going off before the end of the season.
1: Yeah, you know, it, it's interesting because on the last episode of the show, we took a deep dive into, you know, whether or not the Raptors should trade Kyle Lowry, whether or not we think that's a good idea, whether or not we think there's some validity to that. And it was pretty much based on that Sportsnet article um, that people kind of flipped out about but we never really touched on Serge Ibaka so when you pivot to that way it's kind of interesting that you know I think people assume rightly or wrongly they assume that like of course Serge Ibaka is going to be on this team like th- there are strong ties there with Messiah Jerry uh, Serge Ibaka sort of I, the rumors were at the time when he was in Orlando like the destination that he wanted to be was in Toronto right and so there there's something to be said about the notion that this is a guy that actually wants to be here maybe we should do what it takes to hold on to him but you make a good point like Chris Boucher has been playing very well in his absence and my only concern there is you know this is only how many games 10 games without Serge Ibaka right now and that's it's relatively small sample size with Chris Boucher really picking up those minutes I'm not sure that I can feel comfortable long term maybe I can but I have to see it more you know long term of having Chris Boucher playing these this much minutes Spelling out Marc Gasol. Could he do it? Sure. I'm sure the motor's very high, but I'm not confident that he can do it at the level of Serge Baca.
0: The only, I guess the only other reason why I think that potentially to do to counter my own point, um, the only reason I would see potentially keeping Serge Baca around is one, obviously Marc Gasol is probably on the last year here. He's not going to be coming back beyond the season. I'd be surprised just given his age and the role. He's probably not going to be a starting center. Moving forward again, the age is going to creep up. Every single year, you creep past thirty, it gets more and more difficult. Right. Um, So the reality is, you know, Serge Ibaka might be the starting center next year if he has to talk with Masai and Bobby Webster. They've talked about, you know, transitioning and maybe him coming back at a reduced price tag as a starting center of this team because that seems like the logical transition. If you do want to bring back Ibaka, you say, you know, the way the brand of basketball we play, you're still a rim protector. You still can rebound. You can do little things for us. We'll have you as our starting center next year and, and Gasol will be um, out the door, which seems that seems potentially more viable. Um, so maybe if the Raptors have had inter- internal discussions regarding Ibaka coming back, that's something that we could actually see play out uh, by the end of next year.
1: Yeah, you know, and like and this is not to disparage <clears throat> Marcus. Gasol or anything he's done this year like i know a lot of people like to pick on him like and it's you know rightly or wrongly the offensive you know production hasn't really been there as much as it was when we picked him up mid-season last year But there is an argument to be made that maybe when, you know, Serge Baca gets right and that ankle is healed up, maybe Marcus Sall's the guy that you can sell off. Like I know, like you said, 35 year old dude, it's sort of hard to sell that kind of aging asset, but there is certainly a veteran presence there that other teams would find valuable. Now, I'm not sure people chasing a ring would necessarily want him. Maybe in the West, that would make more sense. But right now, if you're going just, you know, sheer upside with age and, you know, looking into the future, If Serge Ibaka, if they're looking at him as, you know, maybe the longevity is is better off in that aspect, maybe you're right. Maybe they will sign him to a short-term deal, maybe even a one-year deal just to have that safety net as a starting center because Serge proved that he's able to do it.
0: It's unusual, too. You think about the fact that what Gasol means to this team, and again, this is kind of the, I think, the short-sightedness that people have when they look at his game. Again, offensively, you're right. He has been non-existent outside of his three-point shot. He really has not looked for a shot that's not been part of his offense. The one thing that he does beyond being your defensive anchor, and he absolutely is your defensive anchor inside and coordinating. He calls up plays. He's so good at help defense and recognizing space the one thing that he does exceptionally well is he acts as a release valve. And I know that guys like Leo Routins have talked about this before on, on the broadcast. He basically catches the ball at the top of the key Top extended, and he settles things down. He's so good at catching guys with backdoor cuts going to the basket for easy layups. He really settles down your offense when your offense is sputtering. So he becomes almost this safety valve that you can rely on at the end of a shot clock to give him the ball. He'll make the right decision. You're going to get a good look out of it. So that would be potentially my reason that I would not trade him really under any condition this year because I think he's so valuable not only to your defense, but even secretly to how good your offense looks this year.
1: You know, when you consider what we're dealing with right here, it certainly is a good problem to have, right? It certainly is. Yeah, it's a good problem to have to be able to say like, oh, man, what are we going to do when Kyle Lowry and Serge Ibaka come back, who were playing exceptionally well the first eight games that were on the floor? Like, they were pretty good. Like Serge Ibaka, we were just praying for him to get in so Marcus Saul could take a break because, as you mentioned, the offensive production wasn't there, and Serge Ibaka just sort of took over, and he did it very well. Like, he was looking to have a very strong season, and he still might. Same thing with Kyle Lowry. Like, Kyle Lowry came out with a vengeance. It seemed like he was sort of, like, I don't want to say completely turning away from being the assist guy, but it definitely seems like he was prioritizing scoring way more than he did last year, and he was doing it at a high clip. So when you uh, submerge these two back into the lineup it's it's having these questions oh how are we going to make room how are we going to find room for these two all-star caliber players to me there are way worse problems that you could have (laughs) and to in that aspect like in a way Toronto Raptors fans are still kind of spoiled
0: absolutely no they they are spoiled beyond belief again they're recognizing the fact that this is um, honestly, all these questions that we're addressing the last 50, 10 minutes of our conversation, these are all, as you said, the best things, the best problems to have. The Raptors have additional assets. They're in a position that I think nobody would have expected sitting here 14-3 and three on the season, that this start has been better than you expected. And honestly, it, it, it seems to them, we keep saying these five-game stretches, but you know, looking at the Raptors' next five games against Utah, Miami, Houston, Philadelphia, Chicago, and then obviously the, the big Clippers game at home – so five of the next six games are against really high quality opponents. And if the Raptors come out of that, you know, four and two out of those six games, you got to look at that and say, wow, this team is cooking and we can't really look to trade anybody because we're right. really knocking on the doorstep of the East here. And if you think you can build another Giannis Wall in the pl- in the postseason and shut him down, then absolutely you got to run everybody back the way that you've assembled the team this season.
1: It's a great way to look at it and you know it's it it gets me sort of anxious for what's to come because like we still haven't seen like playing at the potential that this bench unit you know to wrap a bow on this to, the potential that they've been playing at and seeing what, you know, the, the spare parts, quote-unquote, have been doing in, to fill in the void. When you put Kyle Lowry and Serge Ibaka back into that equation, this team should just be firing in all cylinders. Maybe you see a, a, a scenario much like, you know, the 59-win series when you have a bench mob, quote-unquote, where you can have five on, five off at a time. Like, we haven't seen that since that season. And If that's the case, if that's what we're seeing, and they perform adequately, I think we're in for a big surprise.
0: No, absolutely. There's, there's, we're in for we're in for a treat, honestly, as the season goes on, and I'm so excited to see how this plays out because it's really just um, a bit of a roll of the dice of of what this team is capable of. You know, it's crazy to think that collectively this team might be better defensively this year than they were last year, which is just a weird sentiment to think about.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't have thought that with the uh, the absence of Kawhi Leonard. But hey, that's the NBA for you, and uh, it always seems to shock us at the weirdest moments. But having said that, we're gonna take our final break, and when we come back, uh, Demar Derozan trade rumors to Toronto. What? Yeah, stick with us. We'll be right back. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Alright, so I have to preface this with, you know, a little bit of hesitation because when it comes to rumors, uh, people like to hold on to it and think like, oh, there's actual trade talk about revolving, you know, DeMar DeRozan coming back to Toronto. Uh, I'm not sure I'm there. So, like, to give the full scope, there's merely a rumor floating out there that DeMar, quote, could be a fit in Toronto via trade. It's important to note that this was just a blurb that came from an anonymous Western Conference quote executive. I don't even know what that means. Like, an executive could literally be anybody. Like, I, I don't know how to how to give that much validity or that much stock into the statement. But the quote goes, it sounds crazy, but Toronto actually makes a lot of sense for DeRozan. As for what Toronto is giving up, it would probably have to be a first-round pick plus Serge Ibaka or Marc Gasol. So there you go. We're going back to this, you know, in a way, the Serge Ibaka or Marc Gasol trade talk. But I guess this one involves DeMar DeRozan. Um, I kind of want to get your thoughts on that, but before we do, I just want to be the guy to say, to me, that sounds like an extreme overpay, and that has nothing to do with anything bad about DeMar DeRozan, but no way am I giving up a first-round pick plus Marc Gasol or Baca for DeMar DeRozan, so I kind of wanted to take get your thoughts on this. Do you find any validity into this quote-unquote rumor, and uh, what do you think of this, I guess, proposed asking price for DeRozan?
0: I feel like we got to define the word fit yeah. because I feel like you're looking at what this team is like fit is a weird word to use. Again, do you use the same word with the Orlando magic wearing uh, orange uniforms the other night? Is that that the same fit we're going to go with? I know it's orange groves in, 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 uh, in Florida, but still like fit is an odd word because the Raptors identity is three and D yes. And Is that DeMar DeRozan's game? Uh, I just, I got to do a quick double check here, but I don't think that's DeMar DeRozan's game. So absolutely, this is the worst possible situation. When I actually read it, and I'm not, it sounds very dramatic. I felt like my ears were bleeding because I felt like I do not want to even walk down this. I don't want any nephews coming out and saying, we got to bring back DeMar DeRozan. Absolutely not. Please, please save me from that conversation. I do not want to see DeMar ever put on a Raptor jersey ever again until it's his retirement night.
1: Yeah, you know, it's just weird because you. I know a lot of people like to attach to the emotional aspect of this, right? Like DeMar DeRozan, his exit from Toronto was, I don't want to say dramatic, but it was not the way in which he would have envisioned it, right? And maybe not the way that fans would have envisioned it either. Like this is a guy that we are already ready and willing to put a statue of outside the, the Scotiabank arena. So for me, it was sort of like, I just don't see it, and like you mentioned, maybe, maybe the, with a lack of mid range, you know, for lack of a better way to put it, that you mentioned at the jump of the show, maybe that's the the analysis here with DeRozan. But otherwise, like he is a defensive liability, he really is, and not to say that he's not good, like he obviously is a good player, but I haven't seen these these extra steps forward under Popovich. And that's sort of what I was hoping for in the best case scenario that he received going to San Antonio. And I haven't seen it. So for me, like, not only that, Is he going to want to be in a bench role? Because that's the only way I can get the fit here for DeRozan in Toronto. Like He's definitely not going to take starter minutes away. He's just not. Like you mentioned, when Kyle Lowry comes back, that's probably going to move Norm over to the bench and have Fred Van Vliet start by Kyle Lowry's side. I don't see a scenario in which it makes sense for DeRozan to come back to Toronto. I get that fans are like, oh yeah, bring him back, let him retire a Raptor. I get it. I I get the impulse there. I really do. But when you look at how well this team is performing, and as we've talked about ad nauseum throughout this entire show, the emphasis on defense, DeRozan just doesn't fit, for lack of a better way to put it.
0: Well, even you go beyond that. Again, the best five spur lineups that are on the floor, in terms of plus-minus, don't have DeMar DeRozan on. (laughs) So, it goes to show you defensively what they're giving up when he is on the floor, and absolutely the liability is there. And if, you're, if your message to your team is the fact that we are going to play defense at this tenacious rate, we're not going to give up anything at the paint, we're going to defend the three-point line, DeMar is just not willing to do that. Again, the things that I would have liked to see DeMar you know improve on, can we just congratulate DeMar? DeMar hit his first three-pointer this week <laughs> on the season he had not hit one i since i believe since february of last year there you go um he has gone from yeah exactly let's clap it up here he went from taking three three and a half threes a game in toronto's last season now down to 0.3 again his game has transitioned to everything that is not toronto anymore so it's a nice sediment. i love demar for what he committed to this team he's uh He's somebody who's a he's a gym rat. He's committed his life to getting better and better. And I appreciate everything he did. He's he had to follow the sword for us to get the king of the north, Kauai. But ultimately, it, it's 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 a beautiful sentiment. But we need to step away from that and move on because uh, it's just a it's just a memory at this point.
1: Yeah, and you know, I, I mentioned that it might be a detriment to Fred Van Vliet if this were to happen, but even if it's not, like let's say that you know Nick Nurse, it, let's just live in a fairy world where this 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 happens, right? This this is the 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 trade that goes down, and that like Demar Rosen is back, donning number ten. Okay, cool, and he needs to start. To me, if it's not gonna be Fred Van Vliet, it's OG Ananobi. And in no way am I comfortable letting OG Ananobi not get starters minutes, especially how well he's been playing. And again, this is going to be a huge defensive liability because arguably, as you mentioned, OG Ananobi is probably the best defensive player on this team right now. Like right now, he is that guy. And if you want to what what kind of a message does that send to a guy like OG Ananobi? Hey, you're having this fantastic start. We're really proud of you. the way you've accelerated your game. Oh, by the way, DeMar's back. We're going to put you to the bench. Like to me, that messes up the team team chemistry to such a high degree that it's just not worth the risk. As you mentioned, let him retire a Raptor if that's what he wants to do. Give him a one day, let him retire, put his jersey up in the, in the Raptors. I'm cool with it. But in no way do I want to see him on this team this year. No way.
0: Honestly, he probably he probably belongs in the orange groves of Orlando because Orlando seems like they could use some scoring and some guys that could take some of the pressure off some of their younger players. So hey, let Orlando trade for him because that makes a lot more sense than I think Toronto does. And I think it'd be it, it's unfortunate that Demar has been this guy who's kind of just getting passed around at this point. Again, he was the centerpiece and obviously the Kawhi deal, and now looks like san antonio does not want to commit to him long term and i don't blame them because again negative assets negative assets defensively are not going to help you win games and win championships and it's very likely right now you can't win with one player on the court, let alone two, because lower Marcus Aldridge has fallen off the same way defensively. So I can see why they're trying to walk away, but the problem is really their value has never been lower in the last few years than what it is right now for DeMar DeRozan.
1: Right. Yeah. There's no doubt in my mind that, you know, if a team like Orlando who uh, needs some, you know, offensive production in there, maybe they can mitigate some of the defensive liability that DeRozan has. Maybe that's fine. Like if they want to trade for him, fine. And he can reunite with Terrence Ross, assuming he's not, you know, going the other way to San Antonio that's cool. Like, I, I don't think it's going to make that much of a difference. Could it push them to eighth, seventh, eighth in the, in the final playoff run? Sure. Like I, I have no doubt that it could, like he does have leadership qualities and you know, he is a good influence on other players. Don't get me wrong. Like, I don't think he's a bad guy at all, but for a championship caliber team, like we've seen it, we've seen, this is a guy that got benched in, in the, 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 the playoff series against uh, Cleveland. Like he is not that guy. You can't rely on him in big moments.
0: So I'm not. I just want to throw trades out. I don't want to get too caught up in this thing. Sure. But you know, where the one thing I always thought he would look good, and because of the players around him, he is best when he has shooters around him. Could you imagine putting him with Steph Curry and Clay Thompson? in Golden State.
1: It'd be amazing. And, and you what know what that would look... Uh, that yeah. seems
0: like... You know what I mean? Like if you were to trade Russell to make that happen, maybe so be it. But that's somewhere where I think you could truly utilize his skill set and his ability to get to the rim. And he's something you could get 10 free throw attempts a game. I know he's back down under six now. But put him in with a team that's surrounded with shooting and my goodness, you're in trouble.
1: And that would sort of put him... That's a great point. And that sort of would put him back in the aspect of the home aspect, like back in LA in a way. Well, not LA, California. And it would, you know, maybe give him... Uh, a nice place to, to retire if they were to extend him after the fact. I think that would make a lot of sense. And I think he would be deadly, especially under Steve Kerr. Like, I think he would be maybe thrive. I don't know that he necessarily be better, but he would definitely play up to his strength and highlights his attributes in that regard. So I think that would be a great destination. And given how poorly Golden State has been doing, and to the, uh, you know, much to the same degree, San Antonio, it wouldn't surprise me if something like that happened.
0: Mm, absolutely and I think we'll have to see how it plays up I think um, hopefully DeMar he lands in a good spot because I don't think ultimately he'll be in San Antonio so we'll have to see where he is I know Toronto fans are going to maintain his their loyalty to him they're going to cheer for him much like they like to talk about Jonas Valanciunas when he's gone the Raptors have to check up on all their, their old players and you know keep loyal to them and keep uh, commitment to them as they pursue other opportunities and new teams so I'm, I'm hopeful for DeMar but uh, we'll see how it plays out
1: all right, well, with that, let's get to the too sweet moment of the week. It's time for the too sweet moment of the week here on the South of the
0: Six podcast. All right,
1: Jonathan, you're new to this, so I'll give you a quick rundown and we can get it going. Uh, basically, too sweet moment of the week is anything that you saw this past week that was just too sweet. Could have been a quote, could have been a sequence, could have been a play, could have been anything you want. That you saw from the Toronto Raptors team, what would you classify as the two-sweep moment of the week?
0: So my two-sweep moment was the end of the Philadelphia 76ers game and it was the sequence in which we had the deflection. Pascal Siakam took a coast-to-coast and Pascal Siakam scored more points in 0.1 seconds than Joel Embiid scored in that entire game. And I just love when Siakam (laughs) came down and he dunked it and he's just looking at the cries, doing a little shimmy. And I'm like, oh my goodness, statement made by Pascal Siakam.
1: I gotta tell you, alright, so I prepare for every show on a Google Doc, and I'm not even gonna lie to you. Right now on my Google Doc, it says, for the two sweet moment of the week, Pascal's dagger dunk at the end of the 76ers game. Because I'm with you, dude. I just stood up out of my chair, and seeing him spread his arms out, as if, like, this is, I own this. I, I did it. Like, I I crown me the new King of the North, because are you not entertained right now? Like, for me, that was just beautiful it was kismic i was just like pascal you you're the guy you're you're the dude right now for this team and i have to agree to you that that moment was just too sweet for sure
0: yeah honestly it stuck out with me the entire time i can't think of a better moment in terms of just this kind of like transition it felt like even though kawhi has gone again the, the torch had been passed he left he he made the final the final play on the 76ers and walked away, it just seemed like this this improbable moment that just came true. It was it was just fantastic to witness, and I was just so excited um, for it to play out the way it did.
1: Well, speaking of excitement, this week has a lot of excitement built up for it, and uh, so much so that this, you can say what you want about the, the Western Conference swing, that was definitely challenging. In terms of a home stretch, this may be one of the most challenging home stretches that the Raptors have seen thus far this season. So let's break it down. We'll go into predictions and we'll put a bow on this episode. Uh, Sunday, tomorrow, they have Utah, Tuesday, Miami, Thursday, Houston. That's a tough stretch. It really is. And the thing about Sunday, uh, look, Connolly versus Gasol. That's the first time we've seen it. And I think that's kind of cool. So let's start with that one. What do you think the outcome is going to be against Utah?
0: So, ultimately, you're going to look for a pretty low-scoring game. Utah is still trying to find itself offensively and its flow of the offense, and they're still struggling to figure out what that identity is. Conley certainly opened up their offense in a, in a significant way, and you're seeing that the paid dividends. Uh, Bogdanovich's uh, inclusion on that team has been nothing short of Um, critical to their success moving forward. Utah is obviously one of the best three, four teams in the Western Conference. It's going to be a really tight game. I expect the game to be low scoring. It's probably going to be maybe 104 to 99. I don't see more than 105 points being scored because defensively, the defense is the name of the game. Both teams like to take away the paint. Uh, Rudy Gobert is one of the best um, obviously defensive players in the league, especially protecting the paint. So I look to see a very, very low scoring game. And I actually think um, you're going to see obviously the return of Ibaka and maybe Lowry for that game so mm. that's gonna be an interesting thing I still think they will they will come out on top in that one and I'm gonna probably say again 104. 104- 99 Toronto
1: yeah I got I got a win as well I think that you know riding high right now I know the the Orlando game started off a little bit ugly and it definitely wasn't a pretty win but a win is a win and they can ride that confidence especially Norman Powell hopefully knock on desk here that sort of continues for him but uh yeah I got I got a win here as well I think they can they can handle this I don't know if we've had a Sunday evening game yet I don't I want to say this is the first one Um, If it's not, I apologize. I I don't know. A not West Coast game. Um, When it comes to an East Coast game, I think this might be the first, if not the second. Um, But regardless, moving on. Tuesday, Miami, Butler, a Raptor killer, notoriously. I know this may be bold, but I still think they squeak out a win against Miami, even though they've been playing pretty well. Miami, that is. I think the Raptors can take it on their home turf. What say ye?
0: This one was, uh, this was a little bit more challenging because I think the Utah game, I think the Raptors match up really, really well. The only thing about Miami is Miami always gives the Raptors fits. Now, the one thing going for the Raptors, obviously, is the fact they're playing at home. And the Raptors are 8-0 at, right now at home. The the Miami Heat are 5-5 five five on the road. Uh, you know, it's pretty crazy. When you look at the it, – it, little segue story right here, but you look at the Eastern Conference. It is phenomenal how good yeah. the – Top five have been at home. Again, when you look at the collective record here, we've got Philly at 8 0, 7 0 for Boston, 8 0 for Miami, 8 0 for Toronto, 7 1 for Milwaukee. There's one loss at home between five teams in the Eastern Conference. That's That's insane. And ultimately, I think this is probably a little bit of the trap game in which. You're looking at and you're going, you at Jimmy Butler plays this team really well. If I had to say this is where potentially maybe there could be a hiccup and I could see the Raptors dropping this game um maybe like in like a 110, 107 game. But I, I hope that they win, but I can see this being a trap game for them.
1: Yeah, you know, the thing about Jimmy Butler is he definitely brings that playoff intensity. And I think this is going to be, you know, much like the 76ers game where the crowd really got into it. I think this will happen again. I think there will be sort of a playoff atmosphere because of Jimmy Butler. I mentioned earlier that there are 76ers and X 76 ers players that you know don't like to talk about the shot and this is the first time jimmy butler comes back to the scotia bank arena since that moment and you got to imagine that it hit him hard too so you know he might be out for blood so in a way if he you know takes over this game and becomes that raptor killer again i could certainly see them dropping this but there's something about you know this this riding high moment if we're not going to get surge back on sunday we're probably if not definitely going to get him back on tuesday and as you mentioned if kyle lowry's back by then too and he's you know establishing some sort of a groove um i i don't know that i can you know not see the raptors taking this but there is a scenario in which you know they certainly can given the the intensity of this so yeah i'm gonna call it a win but if you're gonna call this one a loss i have a loss against houston on thursday so it sort of balances it out what say ye about houston
0: so I actually think the the Raptors are going to win in Houston. I'm mean, okay. going to make a statement. I think James Harden for the second time this season will be held under 25 points, actually for the third time this season. I think that OG Ananobi is going to lock him down. Is going to reinforce this the stigma that he is one of the best defensive players on the wing um, this season. And ultimately, I see Houston have way too many issues defensively to kind of make work of the Raptors. Again, they are really struggling. At times and recognizing um you know mismatches. Again, they really have lost that that bit of the defensive identity. PJ Tucker looks, looks a little slower this season. I just think that's a potential loss. Again, they lost three in the road this past week. They lost to Denver, they lost to they lost to the Clippers, lost to Dallas, and they bounced back with the win against Miami. But right now, they're giving up a lot of points. Again, they're still again, two of the last three games they've given up over 120 points. So I got to think that it's going to be a high-scoring game, and I think the difference will be the fact that OG is going to be able to semi- Lock down James Harden and give us a ten-point win against uh, Houston.
1: Yeah, it just seems like one of those. It's so Raptors to lose this game, kind of game, right? It it just I have that you know stigma. Maybe it's you can call it Raptors PTSD or whatever you want. But there's something about this that just screams. I don't know. I don't know if the Raptors can do this. You know, historically, like yes, they they've handled Houston quite well, especially in their own house. They've handled Houston quite well. Um, But there's something about this game that gives me pause. So just maybe I'm being ultra conservative about it but I just, you know, for the sake of not being sounding rather like a huge homer here, I'm just going to call this one a loss just so I can, if they go two and one, I'm okay with it. But hey,
0: we just did three games and if they end up going two and one in some combination over those three games, I'll be happy because hey, there's three really good components. So the Raptors can come out of this two and one I think that's a good stretch. I think 3-0 and o will be very difficult, especially trying to manage the returns of two key players and how you're going to manage the minutes. But, uh, hey, 2-1 and one is successful in my book, especially against those teams.
1: Yeah, it should be able to keep them around this. Like, I know they're second right now in the East, and, you know, the standings don't really matter. And right now, it's not even December 1st, but it will be maybe when you listen to this podcast. Uh, but, you know, it it might keep them hovering around that second and third place uh spot in the East and that that's great. It's it's good to know that the Raptors still have this intensity. It's good to know that they still have championship caliber players on this team and they're performing quite well. And like you said, if they go uh two wins, one loss, I'm I'm cool with it and you can't really ask for more. So having said that, man, you know the deal. This is your time to shine. Promote any and everything you got going on. Where people can find you on Twitter, where people can find the podcast, anything you want, dude. The floor is yours. Go for it.
0: Wow, no pressure here. Uh, So, well, first off, Adam, thanks for joining. Um, As uh, Adam mentioned at the top of the podcast, I host a podcast called the Raptors Reddit Podcast at Raptors Reddit Pod. You can follow us on Twitter there. Um, Find us on every major podcasting service from Apple to Google, whatever else. Uh, Hey! The more Raptors talk you can get, the better. Uh, it was fantastic joining you, Adam. Thank you so much.
1: Yeah, no problem. Uh, the links to everything uh, that, that Jonathan just mentioned, the Twitter and the podcast, will be in the description of the show, so you are just a tap away from subscribing to the Raptors Reddit podcast. It is in my uh, podcast feed. I have it downloaded every time. Uh, I highly encourage everybody, if you haven't already, it's sort of a side segue, but if you haven't already, hit up the Raptors Reddit board, the subreddit. It's a really great place to talk Raptors, really. If you want to have, if you're kind of sick of the of twitter sometimes it gets a little toxic head over to raptors reddit it's a little bit more positive there too but having said that jonathan thanks for joining and we'll do this again sometime soon i'm sure
0: thank you so much adam much appreciated